0: This is the Yanks Go Yard podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to a Monday edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. Following Super Bowl Sunday, I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. The Philadelphia Eagles did not win the Super Bowl. They also did not get a chance to win the Super Bowl at the end of the game thanks to a tiki tack call that I think was the right call and also boring. It was both things. It was correct it was weird. It was uncomfortable. Strange. It was bad. It was also good. We'll get into it. Uh, but there's New York Yankees news on this beautiful Monday. Nestor Cortez is out of the world baseball classic. That's first and foremost, the most prominent piece of news. It's a hamstring issue. Uh, Nestor's actually talking live to uh, gathered reporters in Tampa now. He claims, uh, or at least what, what we're hearing, is it's a grade two strain. It's going to keep him off the mound for two weeks. Uh, so that is it's February 13th. That would mean he would miss training for the World Baseball Classic. They don't want to rush him back after that. Uh, I don't know if you trust this. If you think it's just Brian Cashman strong arming? Either way, no Nestor Cortez in the WBC, which was probably always the way this was going to turn out, whether or not he had a little grade two hamstring strain or not. Plus, More trades for the New York Yankees on the way. The Athletic wondering about the futures of Glaber Torres and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. And wink-winking that Oswald Peraza has already won the starting shortstop job. Plus Derek Jeter in the booth on Fox? That was the uh, sports radio tease. Derek Jeter will be joining the booth. Not on the Yes Network? Apparently not. He's in Fox. Uh, He's part of the team. What does that mean? We'll try to break it down. And the Houston Astros have bullied Christian Javier into accepting a below market extension well before his free agency. For some reason, he's going to be sticking around forever. I guess they've got the special sauce in H-Town that makes you not want to leave if you're a pitcher. Why would you? There's something going on down there. Make sure to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us those five-star reviews if you wouldn't mind. If you have a question for us, leave it in the reviews. We'll get to it. Happy to respond to that. And also find us live on YouTube. Mondays and Thursdays all offseason long two o'clock Eastern consistently we will be there and during the regular season we'll have to re It's it's as needed we love going live when the Yankees brought Aaron Judge back when the Yankees signed Carlos Rodon the Yankees have decided to do jack shit in that department ever since we have not really gotten the chance Nestor Cortez having a tiny little hamstring problem is probably the biggest piece of breaking news we have fielded since mid-December which sounds insane but it's actually true. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I know you were equally sort of bummed out by the end of the Super Bowl. It was a, it was just a bummer. It, I felt like five or six years ago, the Eagles choking the Super Bowl in this way would have given me such delight. Um, now I know too many Eagles fans. It was, it was like I was learning to feel human emotions for the first time. Uh, I wasn't really rooting in either direction necessarily, but I. Felt like I was robbed when the Eagles, A, did not win this game, and B, saw it end on them and dissolve in the fashion that it did. I don't know how you're feeling about that.
2: I feel like shit because I was rooting against them hardcore the entire time, and then that call happens, and I'm like, come on, man. This is how we're going to end the game, and it wasn't the wrong call. It was just. There were only nine flags, I think, thrown all game. That was one of them. You saw zero no, really... defensive holding. Yeah. Zero
0: defensive holding prior to that, which is the same thing that happened in last year's Super Bowl, and then when the Eagles got flagged that on game. third eight. Leading, it was same deal. Nothing for three and a half quarters. First defensive holding of the game coming on the final game winning drive.
2: Yeah, and and honestly, I thought at that point they were just letting them play because the Eagles, in my opinion, got a lot got away with a lot of contact on a few. Um, on a few of the chiefs drives that, that stalled. Um, there was one on Juju on like a third and seven where he was fully, he was fully mobbed b- before he was able to release through his route. And then he got his arm pulled in the route and Mahomes put the ball on the money. Had he been, it, been able to catch the ball? It's a 15 yard gain and they don't punt. So, um, and the Eagles were kind of getting lucky all left and right. I think that call for the Goddard catch was, Probably not right. I don't every know how catch, every catch is the same. Right? I don't know how that was. I don't know how that was not overturned. He clearly did not have possession. If I don't know, they got lucky honestly on the AJ Brown play. I don't know what the Chiefs defense was doing. They had two. The safety decided to just not break over, and then the cornerback turned around and just looked up, and then just didn't make a play on the ball. So, um, look in the end, Eagles fans, uh, you can use this as a scapegoat, I suppose, if you need a. If you need an escape and a coping mechanism, but you give up 24 points in the second half, you dominate the first half like that, um, you give up 38 points in total. The referees uh, did not screw you. Obviously, you would have been losing regardless. Um, it would have been nice to have, what, a minute to try and get down the field and kick a field goal? And,
0: minute 45. So, like, yeah. I think they probably do it to be. Yeah, honest. I
2: think they probably do it too. Um, but then again, you saw how the play calling for the Eagles was weird. They started running the ball more when they were trailing. I know that drive ended up resulting in the touchdown and the two point conversion. But um, the Chiefs leaving players why, again wide open. Why is why is Devonta Smith wide open down the sideline? Why are they? How come when they're blitzing, they don't have? a QB spy on Jalen hurts, like a lot of weird stuff was going on. And I know that they probably would have gotten down the field. Um, But then again, either way, the pressure would have been on them to do something. Um, So I don't think we could sit here and and assume that it would have happened. Um, The chiefs defense with Spagnuolo calling the shots, giants fans know him well, Yankees fans, you know him well. Um, I think he may have buckled down for the last drive Um, either way. You sealed your fate by surrendering 24 points in a single half. Um, and when Patrick Mahomes only throws for what, 188 yards and you managed to do that, they got gashed on the ground. Look, spent the whole time coming into this Super Bowl, all any but all I was hearing from any of the analysts, and I'm not saying Philly was overrated or whatnot, this is the best front seven in football. Um that this team is going to overwhelm the Chiefs. They have no injury issues. And now you now you have Philly fans complaining about the refs because of this call. And then you look at the Chiefs situation. Mahomes was clearly hobbled. He hurt the ankle again in the second quarter, right before half. They didn't have McCole Hardman in this game. They lost Tyreek Hill in the offseason, who is arguably, you know, top three wide receiver in the game. I didn't hear Chiefs, I didn't hear the Chiefs making any excuses for any any of the stuff that happened on that front. Um, they uh the, the the eagles essentially a lot of the post game analysis is acting as if you know we we had these roller coaster of expectations we weren't sure where this team was going to be then they rattle off eight straight wins and it's like you guys faced no adversity all year you had you were lucky in the health department all year outside of Jalen Hurts getting hurt for those two games you finished 14 and 3 you had the op- you played four playoff teams all year on the regular season schedule you go into the super bowl you dominate the first half you're up by 10. You're one of two teams to be up by 10 at halftime and end up blowing the lead. So it came down to coaching. The refs obviously didn't help at the end, but if you're going to point the finger at that one instance when there were a million other things that had gone wrong in the in the final 30 minutes, then, um, you know, I, and again, it was the right call. It just sucks that it was made at that time. When there were other plays that had, seemingly more illegal holdings or more aggressive holdings earlier in the game. But I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, I know it sucks for Philly. That's three straight championships they've lost across different sports. Um, yeah. Welcome to the misery. I know you guys have been there plenty, but you know, 14 years here in in the Bronx and we got to deal with all the people talking shit left and right. So um, at least you've been there. We haven't been there in a while.
0: Did you know that since the 83 Sixers title, Philly has made 12 major sports finals. They are two and 10. Shit. Those should really be like...
2: One Phillies, one Eagles. Those
0: should One one Phillies, one Eagles. Those, those should be 50-50. You, you should not yeah. be... 500 record is fine. Should not be two and 10 no. in championship rounds. Uh, it's never good when you're leaving the Super Bowl. The game is objectively great. And we're talking about slippage on the turf and weird grass and refs at the end of the game. But shout out to the Embedded Giants who were pretty much universally great in this one. If your goal was stopping the Philadelphia Eagles from winning the Super Bowl, Kadarius Toney with a huge punt return. Yeah, uh, they, they came James Bradbury, former Giant, commits the massive penalty uh, that's called on the final drive. And uh, former Giants punter Matt Dodge was apparently punting for the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. Uh, he's been out of the NFL since 2010, since the Deshaun Jackson game, but Eagles brought him in and he let off, uncorked the worst punt in Super Bowl history to get Kadarius a line drive directly into Kadarius Tony's momentum so took them to the five uh special teams doesn't matter until it like absolutely does and that was uh horrific and other than uh Jalen Hurts the two most impactful plays of the game non-penalty division were that horrible punt and Jalen Hurts spinning around and trying to change hands with the football for no reason and dropping it right in Nick Bolton's bread basket for the uh game tying touchdown so a lot of weirdness
2: and look you have that overturn on the Miles Sanders play which I thought was a catch Yeah, I don't know. I think that kind of could have gotten either gone either way. But um, then I was reading online that supposedly you don't need a football move as long as you secure the ball and begin moving with it or begin motioning with it. It's technically you you have control. Um, So, I mean, I think in in the same breath, Chiefs fans could theoretically complain about the refs in the other direction, killed some drives, took a touchdown off the board. If I don't know how I don't know how what you thought about that play but I mean it was certainly worth a conversation.
0: Yeah, that one was weird. I, I feel like it's too uh, close. It's weird when you when you watch it live. I was like, well no chance. I mean, you've yeah. seen it a million your football experience is like I mean, come on like i've seen them overturn uh catches where he takes like a step and a half up the field like sanders Hmm. got drilled as the play i i that for some reason that didn't even register to me as controversial until this morning yeah when you're listening to the wrap-ups because watching it live i was just like that's not a catch are you kidding me he just got blasted and dropped the football um but it's certainly you're right it's closer than a lot of people think um i i think uh i mean an extra again an extremely fun game the controversies were uh Interesting and fun to talk about in Philadelphia the last time they won the Super Bowl got two catches for touchdowns against the New England Patriots that probably should have both been overturned. And yeah. America doesn't want to admit it because we hate the Patriots, um, and, and cor- correctly so. I was pumping my fist when those went down, but uh, it's like a weird juggle in the back of the end zone that didn't look like a touchdown. And the Zach Ertz play that was overruled when it happened to the Patriots yeah. uh, in the Steelers game from previously in the season. In the Super Bowl, they were just like, nah, it's, it's, this, is a, this is a touchdown now. And it's like, all right, cool. Thank you. Um, so really lucky a couple of years back and not so much this time around. But again, 10-point lead at halftime. Why don't you go win the game instead of doing all this? Uh, let's talk about Yankees baseball because yeah. we're uh, 13, and a half, 13 and a half minutes in disappointing our live viewers. Um if any of you see a QR code on the side of your screen, please scan it. I don't know what it does, but just uh, give it a scan. It might be fun. Uh, Nestor Cortez is talking to the media right now. He's out of the World Baseball Classic. This is a funny one because uh, there's a reason to be anxious. I think you've already lost Frankie Montas. So any other depth in the rotation going down for any period of time makes you uncomfortable. Cortez, of course, finished last year with a groin injury that pulled him from his final playoff start, the Yankees final playoff game. And uh, we didn't know what the injury was at first. Whenever anyone leaves injured, you're thinking this is an arm, this is a shoulder, it's just the groin, it's a soft tissue. Uh, He was also hurt in the middle of the season uh, in a stint that some would call phantom, maybe real, I I don't know. He ended up at 170 total innings last year, counting 158 plus in the regular season and 12 in the playoffs. Pretty big jump for a guy who's been a swing man his whole life. That's his first year as a full-time starter with the Yankees. His breakout season, no doubt, you wanted as much Nestor as you could have gotten last year, but it was no great shock that after they take Severino and put him on the 60-day IL, they were trying to limit Nestor's innings as well, and it ultimately boils down to him being put on the shelf during the regular season, leaving his final playoff start with another muscle injury. And now this, when we knew Severino was out of the WBC, that was obvious. Like, Brian Cashman could not let Luis Severino pitch in the World Baseball Classic, but You could just tell he was itching to also take Nestor Cortez out of the World Baseball Classic. So much so that it kind of leaked that he would prefer he not play. Nestor wanted to pitch for his country for obvious reasons. The staff is kind of odd. Adam Wainwright, Brady Singer was on that preliminary roster. Merrill Kelly. uh, Like the pitchers on the World Baseball Classic USA staff were underwhelming. So Nestor was going to get some run. But you could tell, and, and Cashman made his preference extremely clear. And then all of a sudden, today, Cortez comes out with a hamstring strain. Uh, apparently, he had he tripped and aggravated it, like, last week. Sure, he's talking to the media now. He says his intention is to be ready for the start of the regular season. And I don't doubt that, considering the timeline they're giving us lines up basically exactly with what it would take to do that. No, no throwing for two weeks. Great. That gives him a first start of spring training would be, like, March 1st, uh, maybe March 8th. If they need a week of warm up before they put him on the mound, maybe even March 12th or third whatever it is, if there are no further setbacks, it lines up perfectly fine for that first week in the season. I think Yankee fans need to remind themselves that these April games are extremely important, but when do you want Nestor Cortez? August, September, and if he's going to have his innings limited again, that means that there's a chance the team takes their foot off the fucking gas pedal like last year and with a six game lead or whatnot in the middle of August is like, uh oh, time to put Nestor Cortez on the IL for three weeks. I would prefer if he's going to miss time that he gets his innings limited now rather than during the stretch run because of how frustrating that was last year. Um, but my feelings on the legitimacy, of the injury changed a little bit when I learned they were going to shut him down for two weeks. And it wasn't just a precautionary thing of like, hey, tripped and we're taking him out of the World Baseball Classic, which we wanted to do anyway. But it seems like his timeline is, is got him ready for the regular season. It's just sort of a shame that uh, anybody pitching for the Yankees is probably not going to be allowed to pitch in the World Baseball Classic. Unless it's like an eight-year veteran who we know everything about their preparation routines and we could trust their readiness. Uh, Jonathan Loizaga, you're next. I don't think you're making it to the Nicaragua roster, buddy. Uh, How do you feel about this uh, Nestor injury?
2: I don't like injuries. I was surprised that the Yankees were going to let him do this. It kind of slipped through our conversation the other day because we were more focused on um, uh, Loisaga and – who was the other one? Loisaga and – Somebody else, somebody else was playing. Glaber, Glaber is playing. Yeah, yeah, We were talking about how that'd be good for both of them because Loaiza got off to a really slow start last year, and we kind of wanted to see him more geared up and ready for April, May, um, and then Glaber. We just talked about the relationship with the organization and how they can't really afford to screw around with him anymore. It's it's not good for his his mental side of the game. Um, as for Cortez, him and Severino don't necessarily have the same argument. Just because of Severino's track record and everything that's gone on with him, health wise, um, you know, communication wise, off the field wise, whatever it's been. Um, Nestor was a little bit of an interesting case because of his ascension. You know, uh, 2021 was promising only through 93 innings, though. Everyone was very bullish on his next season. Um, I proceeded with precaution. I said, this is only 93 innings for this guy. How much longer is he going to last? Are we going to see fatigue? Or are we going to see, you know, teams start to figure him out after he finally made more than one start in a season? Um, Nestor dominated uh, 28 starts last year. hundred, like you said, 158 innings in the regular season. Got Cy Young votes was named to the all-star team. Um, I don't know if it wasn't evident to me that he began to slow down. I just think that kind of naturally happened because the Yankees wanted to make sure that he didn't go well too far over um, his career high number, which was 93 from 2021. Um, I guess they were making sure he didn't more than double that. We saw kind of the issues that happened with, you know, guys like uh, Julio Urias and Walker Bueller with the Dodgers in 2021. Um, they kind of blew by their career highs, throwing these these crazily high leverage innings and the fatigue set in and they were they, they were not good when when they needed to be their best. Um, so that's why I was sitting here. I was like, wow, they're really going to let Nestor do this. I guess they're going to just let him go early on. Um, maybe that was always the case because he's delivered for the organization, um, over these last two years. And, um, he's not a problem, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, evident fan favorite. I hope this hamstring injury isn't anything serious or a precursor for what's to come. The groin issue in the ALCS, you know, turn your head a little bit as like, was that a result of him almost doubling his innings from last year. Is that part of the fatigue? Um, But all in all, this is going to come down to, I don't know if this was a Brian Cashman strong arm, but this just comes down to if there is any problem, as minor as it may be with anybody's health, sorry, but the world baseball classic is probably off the table for you. Um, There is no need to risk any further injury for that. Um, I know it's a tough discussion to have because it's playing for your country it's a complete, it's a different honorable event that only comes around every so often. So you don't have as many opportunities to participate, but you're paid by the team to win for the team. And in this scenario, the Yankees are down bad based on what's happened over the last almost decade and a half now. So they got to be super careful. You've seen all the injury issues this team has had. Uh, I support the precaution. Um, I I need to see a year of of Nestor, a full Nestor again I think that was electrifying for all of us we enjoyed every minute of it so um any steps that the Yankees can take to ensure that their best players are going to be as healthy as they could possibly be for the duration of a full 162 game season it's got my vote as long as it just doesn't sour the relationship so I hope that um I hope that this didn't have anything to do with that
0: and you know it's extremely annoying. You realize it, and you're like, ah, it's probably the right idea. Yeah. You know who's you know who's notorious for pulling their players from the All Star game is the Astros. Like we we claimed we claimed in 2021, like ah, oh, they don't want to hear boos, like they're wimping out of the All Star game. They all sort of unilaterally dropped, and, and a bunch of them missed this year's as well. But who's better in October than the Houston Astros? Whatever they're doing, yeah. Uh, you know if it's as long as it's not uh, cheating. you <laughs> Probably won't copy it, uh, and, and you know what what they do. Their conditioning program typically seems to work. It, it, it gets everybody but Michael Brantley to the finish line. So you hope that this doesn't eventually translate to the Yankees also pulling their players out of the All Star game. But would you be totally shocked if it did? I wouldn't. Uh, and the World Baseball Classic might be the first stop on that uh, on that trail. Now, uh, Glaber Torres and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa found their names in the crosshairs as well on Monday. A lot of Yankee fans worried about the opening day lineup. What's going to look like? IKF going to weasel his way in there. at short anyway, uh, because the team did not non-tender him this off season. So even though they claimed he'd be de-emphasized, we try to sell everybody on the fact that he'd be de-emphasized. He's still here. So isn't there a chance he wins a starting shortstop gig? Uh, and also his $6.5 million, like it's not much money, but it's also the difference between signing David Peralta and Andrew Chafin and, not signing them i think most of us would probably rather have david peralta on the roster than isaiah connor faleva uh even though he had kind of an underwhelming 2022 but i digress chris Kirshner and brendan cuddy in the mailbag today indicated that uh this shortstop competition entering spring training is maybe not so much a competition at all but in fact one that oswald peraza is going to win unless there is an unforeseen setback I, i don't even think regular grade poor play would do it. And the Yankees mm. are in fact looking to trade of Falefa at this moment. They're still engaging in conversations on that front. And Glaber Torres's job still not entirely safe. We talked about how the Luis Rise trade a couple of weeks ago maybe sealed his Yankee fate, maybe kept him in the Bronx for one more year, at least until the trade deadline. And the Yankees weren't exactly in a place to sacrifice offense anyway. So why would they? However, the insiders don't see it that way. They don't think uh the window has closed now that Miami's gotten their second baseman. They think there's still a chance that Torres does find his way elsewhere uh, close to opening day or afterwards, which would give Oswaldo Cabrera a better chance at second, which would give Anthony Volpe a spot moving forward. What do you make of this reiteration that these two guys could be on the trade market? And uh, do you see it? I, I personally think IKF could be a goner in spring training. I don't see a world where Glaber Torres has traded for anything less than a very surprising and impressive return. It, it better be good yeah. if you're going to take offense off this roster, especially with all the left field options gone.
2: Yeah, I read this uh, this morning. Um, and we can go through the quotes so we get the full context here. Um, it's from Brendan Cuddy and Chris Kirshner of The Athletic. They did um what was it uh, – uh, nine questions facing the Yankees spring training preview. Um, One was talking about the starting shortstop was quote, the expectation is that Oswald Peraza ranked as the Yankees number three overall prospect by the athletics. Keith Laws, the front runner to start at shortstop. The 22 year old even earned a playoff start when IKF faltered. IKF and fellow top prospect Anthony Volpe will be in the mix in February through March, but the Yankees have explored ways to trade kind Falefa. The same can't be said for the youngsters. And then in a conversation about, Um, I guess kind of LeMay Hughes resurgence and Anthony Volpe looming. Torres has been in trade talks for a few seasons with the number one prospect, Anthony Volpe looming. This may be the year Torres winds up playing elsewhere. So clearly these two guys have some Intel that there is no finalization on this opening day roster yet. And I think we are looking at two scenarios, right? The first scenario is Anthony Volpe blows the doors off in spring training Forces the issue, either he gets a starting job at one of the middle infield positions or the Yankees want to bring him up and uh, give him reps early on. Um, although I don't see that as the scenario I see it as him coming up to start or him starting the year in the minor. So if he's coming up to start, then that means you're probably trading Gleyber Torres. Um, I do agree the most likely scenario here is a trade for IKF. You clear that $6 million, million, whatever it is. Um, And then you move DJ to I guess the utility role, um, and this is you know Volpe goes to AAA in the scenario of Glaver starting at second, and then you wait for Volpe to come up once he gets those couple months at AAA, and then Glaber is dealt at the deadline. Um, I think that's probably the most realistic thing. Where IKF dealt during spring training, we're hoping that DJ Lemayhew is fully healthy, can do exactly what he's capable of doing in 2019 and 2020. Um, and then the Yankees can get rid of someone like IKF who kind of would be very expendable in this scenario. Um, I think the problem, the, the, the big problem, is if Volpe actually makes a case to start opening day. Because then at that point, you need to trade Torres because, once again, Oswald Peraza, I think it's his job unless he suffers an injury or unless there is an unforeseen a stretch of horrific play during spring training. And I, I think that that's very unlikely. I'm not going to sit here and say it's impossible, but if I'm willing to bet, he's the opening day starting shortstop. If Volpe does make a case and the Yankees are like, we're doing this, then you have to think of, okay, are they trading both Glaber and IKF now? Because where are you, what are you doing with DJ LeMayhew? How often will he be playing? Um, you probably want him in the lineup more often than Josh Donaldson. Both Kirscher and Cuddy said probably not trading Josh Donaldson. The market is weak for him. The Yankees don't want to eat any salary or you know not get the the, the requisite value in that deal. Um, so my conservative guess is IKF is dealt, regardless of if Volpe is up or not. The Yankees just make some more room. They give they 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 have more playing time for LeMahieu. Um They can maybe. I don't even know what you would do in that situation to expand the bench, maybe, or maybe you bring in another pitcher. I don't know, to, because the beginning of the season is always tough with, with the bullpen and managing innings. The crazy scenario is Volpe comes up, you got to trade both Glaber and IKF kind of immediately. Um, but the most likely, IKF dealt in spring, Glaber dealt at the deadline, and then Volpe is up Vaughn Grissom style with the Braves already making an impact, him and Prasen in the middle infield. Um, but then again, I still need more clarity on what they want with these players. Neither of them have a lot of experience at second base. Their value seems to be at shortstop. Is this the the true middle infield picture of the future? This is where they want either one of them at short and second. Um, I mean, it's fine with me. I just I, I feel like we're we're just waiting for something to happen for them to ultimately make a decision. I, I don't know.
0: I think there's a good chance that they do carry an extra pitcher. You're right. Um, especially because I was doing a, you know, roster projection and you keep running into this issue where Greg Weissert is not going to be on the team right now. And yeah. you kind of feel like he's going to find his way onto that opening day roster, especially because they've made it clear. He's supposed to be a big part of the plan. That's why they used him in the middle of last season. Uh, right now, no room though. Obviously there will be bullpen injuries. And, and I think when I projected that Frankie Montas was maybe healthy. So that changes things, but uh i I still feel like they're they're gonna try to wedge some guys some triple a guys maybe like weissard and matt crook for a week and a half they send matt crook down they bring up an extra bat wilmer Defoe. it would be really nice to have josh harrison it really would it's like a two million dollar signing with the phillies didn't understand why they didn't do it then certainly don't understand why they haven't done it now uh costs almost no money he can cover left field he can cover the infield he lets you trade ikf without really even thinking about it. He's a better offensive player, yeah. probably a better defensive player. Um, and, and this is not even to say that we didn't like IKF. His contributions were exactly as they were sold. He's a singles hitter. He hit 560 with the bases loaded for some reason. Cool. He loves cashing in runners on third with less than two outs. He's Doing some research this week. There's stuff there to like, but he's not a shortstop. They made him play shortstop. Not only is he not a good defensive shortstop, he's not even he's not a shortstop. Like the, the downgrade from excellent defensive whiz to shouldn't even be playing the position is such a bummer, but that's, that's what he is. He's a third baseman and his range. Uh, we wrote about this too. Uh, MLB, they, they put out a new stat. Baseball prospectus put out a stat based entirely on range factor. And IKF has the third best range according to their metric of any shortstop in the game. And that's great. But even the guy who created the stat came out and was like, If this is the internal metric the Yankees are using that says IKF is a great shortstop, then they're not going deep enough because this is purely judging his range at short, which is good, but doesn't take into account his arm, which can't handle the range, and the fact that his hands are also lagging behind the amount of ground he's able to cover, which all of us saw plenty last year. He was worth like minus 10 outs above average when coming in on a soft grounder. So nobody was worse um well maybe somebody was worse I actually don't know but he was he was pretty pretty bad um and and took runs <laughs> or took outs off the board when he was forced to come in on baseball so great range bad instincts
2: not bad, bad. arm that was the other bad thing arm. the amount of balls that he skipped to first the amount of uh inaccurate throws that he had um you saw the you saw at some point in the season people were making fun of him for throwing sinkers over from shortstop um and when you don't when you're making plays, when you have range and you're going in an opposite direction, you need the arm strength because your momentum is taking you in a different, uh, you know, in a, in a different direction, um, and you're working against the runner who's already gotten the head start out of the batter's box and put you out of position to do that. So I, I do like I, IKF's range, and I think that that's something that's valuable that we need to quantify and make sure that um, he's being credited for, but the range is great but it's useless if you don't have the arm strength to throw the runner out. Um, the whole, and you, you also can't just fully have arm strength without any range. You need, it, it's, look, it's a tough sport. It's a tough position to play. Um, but when you're not a natural shortstop um, and when it is a high profile gig, like it is with the New York Yankees, uh, with someone like Derek Jeter you know, taking taking over the position for two decades and having the success that he did, the microscope is always going to be there. So the expectations are naturally higher. Um, It's just insulting that the Yankees are telling us that they have all these metrics and, you know, their handy dandy binder has all these answers that are refuting what we're watching. But then again, now we, I guess we finally got the stat. um, And it's a standalone stat that, or it's not a standalone stat because it's dependent on other aspects of a player's game. So I guess IKF having the range is good. Maybe he saved a couple extra bases, but Uh, The name of the game is getting the outs and he wouldn't be able to he wouldn't be able to finish off plays in that matter because of it. So um, I hope the Yankees learn something from that. I hope they're reading the the baseball prospectus uh, blogs or conversations on Twitter um, because they should know arm strength is is probably probably needs to be right there with the range and IKF does not have it.
0: Just a big bummer because it's uh, totally fine last man on the roster, not somebody who should be making $6.5 million, not your starting shortstop, yeah. not shortstop in general. Um, he's out of position. It's like Obi Toppin on the Knicks. So I don't really know what IKF could do as a rotational utility guy and part-time third baseman, but I know what he does as a starting shortstop, and it's not good enough for a championship-caliber team or any team. Really, that's why he was on three teams last offseason. Uh, let's talk about a better shortstop uh Derek Jeter good shortstop as far as I remember you, uh, you can build some newfangled metrics to tell me you're to know, talk about range factor I'm sure he didn't finish uh, as high as IKF in that grade <laughs> but he's a hall of famer he has 3,500 hits uh he's the greatest shortstop of a generation and uh argue with the wall if you feel otherwise he is joining Fox Sports MLB's team we learned that just before the Super Bowl yesterday mm-hmm. He popped on onto uh, the little Super Bowl stage, talked to Kurt Menefee, who didn't seem to know uh, who he was or what was going on. He asked him if he was an Eagles fan. I don't really know why we had that conversation. But he was with A-Rod. He surprised A-Rod. Um, very cool. There were rumors he was going to join the Yes Network booth. Uh, a couple of months ago with Don Mattingly. And we were like, well, that's not going to happen. Derek Jeter will never (laughs) broadcast. Uh, And it turned out, I mean, that didn't happen. Mattingly went to the Blue Jays as their bench coach. Jeter kept floating around. Uh, He told Yankee fans he would be around a lot more often last year when they honored him on the field. A lot of people were like front office, advisor, Uh, you know, we don't know. Turns out he probably just meant uh, the Yankees play a lot of prime time and national televised, nationally televised baseball games. So he will be there for some of Fox's coverage. What's still unclear is uh, who's he replacing? Is he replacing anyone? And what is his job? So I guess what's still unclear is a lot of things. We have no idea. Um, he might be in the, on the pregame coverage with uh, well Poppy sticking around. A-Rod is sticking around. So that would be in Frank Thomas's place. I don't think they would add a fifth chair. Or he could be in the booth. He could be taking over some games John Smoltz doesn't want. I think we probably would have heard if he were replacing John Smoltz outright. That sounds like natural news. Uh, Maybe they're just signing him to a contract and trying to figure out what good he'll do them, much like the NFL side of things and Tom Brady, who signed to a contract as soon as his career was over, decided he wasn't going to do that for a year, and they were just like, okay, cool, thank you. I guess that's how contracts work when you're Tom Brady. It's like, this is $250 million to come be an announcer. And he's like, I won't do it for one year. And they're like, great. doesn't matter if you already signed it. That's very cool of you. You can do whatever you want. So Jeter's role in the broadcast still yet to be determined or at least yet to be publicized. But I heard from a lot of people that they think he's boring. I don't. I think he's actually he's, – he's, he's quiet. He's funny. He's reserved. He's sharp. He was great on The Tonight Show last week. Um, So what's he going to be doing? I have no idea. And I don't know if he wants to carry a full three and a half hour baseball broadcast from the booth. I don't know if he has enough tidbits for that, but he's charming. I mean, he's charming. There's a reason he was the face of baseball in the 90s. He gave the press nothing but when he gave them something. It was funny and interesting. And so he'll be joining the Fox baseball team. And it's an exciting addition. Uh, Fox's baseball team is objectively filled with bigger stars than the NFL team. Arod, Poppy, Jeter, Frank Thomas, Smoltz, and the NFL side is Greg Olson is great, but then it's like Moose Johnston and Michael Vick. I mean, MLB clears. Sadly,
2: it's great. Uh, I think Jeter actually might take over the flipping bats pod and kick Ben Verlander out. That might be what's that might be what's in store for him. Jeter um, would
0: have a field day talking about how the mentality in the Bronx needs to shift again. Yeah. <laughs> if, that, if that take had come from him, I would have respected it a lot more. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know what the what the chatter is about Jeter being boring. I guess he's just more naturally reserved than other people. Um
0: yeah, I mean he made
2: it his purpose not to tell the media anything
0: yeah. during his career. But if you watch The Captain, he's not boring. He went viral yeah. for a number of sarcastic moments during that documentary.
2: Yeah. Um I think the insight that he has regardless of what you know, what you feel about his tone of voice, kind of livening the broadcast or the pregame show or whatever, um, is going to be is is going to be really worthwhile and, and informative for people who are watching. Um, I think that this is also I look as much as Derek Jeter, I guess, is hated for winning. Um, he's not hated for I guess he, he's he's more respected than most players um and the reason I'm bringing up this comparison is because A-Rod's on the show A-Rod's a former Yankee A-Rod's a very polarizing player I think some Yankee fans hate him um some Yankee fans love him um but the baseball community at large especially rival fans don't really respect him for the suspensions for all the other stuff that went on blah 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 um Jeter at the very least you know you get the old crotchety crowd um, who can't, you know, stand people like A-Rod, they sit there and they do respect someone like Jeter who had a very long career as a, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, had World, you know, world Series success and was able to back it up um, and did it all in the New York market. Once again, I know people don't like that and they are resentful that somebody had that much success in New York, but they also can't not respect it because it's the hardest place to play. Um, and Jeter was the face of a team for a very long time, um, and never wavered, never had a meltdown, never got himself involved into questionable situations, um, never threw his teammates under the bus, always handled himself with class um even though he never really gave much to the media. He had a good relationship with the media there were no, there was no ill will toward derek Jeter as there as there are with plenty of New York athletes who come through the doors and you know, claim disrespect because someone wrote a column that criticized them or, you know, someone tweeted something that the player didn't like. Uh, Jeter was, you know, carried himself as professionally as you possibly could. um, And his insight with the game and his interaction with various people across the game and media members, um, both, you know, with newspapers and on television has been commendable. So, I don't know why anybody wouldn't like this um, outside of just you having to see a former Yankee um, on a broadcast or sitting at a desk for an extended period of time, but yeah, he's, he, I think he's a great hire. I, we were waiting for this to happen years, years before because we thought he was a good candidate and yet we did know that this was never happening with the Yankees. Um, the yes network making those comments. Well, you know, if Jeter, yeah. If Jeter is available, we're going to ask him. You can't say no to that. It's like, all right, well, did you ask him or not? Did you, because the deal, if you ask him, then the deal should be done. Nobody else should be able to get him. So because um, he was available. <laughs> yeah,
0: because he was available. I wish I
2: Fox knew. I mean, Fox word. Fox definitely pays more than yes. So that's that's probably that's probably part of it. Um, I don't know if there was actual interest to do yes. I think maybe Jeter wanted to be more general baseball and also on a national stage. Yes is local, um, and you don't get that type of exposure. So. I guess we'll learn more as time goes on. We don't really know what he's going to do. We don't really know the reasons behind it, but I think it's good news for baseball. It's good news for Yankees fans, and it's uh, it livens any type of broadcast or pregame, postgame analysis that you're going to watch in your lifetime.
0: Yeah, I could use a Jeter and Smoltz booth if we could just get that. Please. Like, even take Joe Davis out of the booth for a couple of games and just yeah. to- smoltz and jeter and let jeter snark smoltz about <laughs> knocking him out of the 96 world series and doing it again in 99 that would be great that that's what i want um one more item before we go uh the houston astros got better again they're in an arbitration fight over christian javier he asked for 3.5 million dollars he was offered three made 749 thousand one hundred dollars last year trouble in paradise for the world champion houston astros who just hired a gm three months into the offseason Christian Javier threw a no-hitter against the Yankees last year. Combined no-no. Threw combined no-no in the World Series as well. My dark horse pick to win the Cy Young this year. Oh, but he's in a fight. Why would you take that guy to battle? Why would you go into the arbitration room with your 25-year-old righty who you scouted from the depths of his home country? You pulled him out. That one of your best scouting finds. The guy who found him went to the Miami Marlins this offseason, by the way. Maybe mm. that was a downturn in the Astros scouting. Who knows? Probably not. They'll figure it out. But oh, you don't want to fight with that guy so early in his career. Well, apparently not mad at all. Signed him to a five-year contract extension instead of going to the arbitration room. Uh, it'll run through the twenty twenty-seven season. Sixty-four million dollars. Two million dollar signing bonus. Three mil this year. Seven mil twenty twenty-four. Ten mil twenty twenty-five. Twenty-one mil the next two years could get even more based on Cy Young voting and could block trades to 10 teams in 2026 and 2027. Uh, I don't think the Astros are going to be trading Christian Javier. Uh, How does this keep happening? Why is this not – the the one thing you can count on to maybe wreck these budding dynasties is like, well, they're not going to be able to pay everybody. and At the very least, at some point, they have to pay the Piper. Javier, if he does win the Cy Young this year or finish top three or emerge the way that we think he might, Uh, You know, that's going to be an eight-year, $210, $220 million deal. That hurts. You can only Mm do so many of those. So maybe at some point the Astros have to decide whether he stays or goes. They let Justin Verlander walk this year. Your best hope with the Astros is eventually they lose these horses and don't have the guys to replace them. But no, they get to keep these horses for an extremely cheap amount of money uh, over the next several years. Probably the entirety of Christian Javier's prime. When will it end? Probably never.
2: Probably never. You lose George Springer. Everything's fine. Kyle Tucker immediately becomes an MVP candidate. You lose Justin Verlander for two seasons. You still come within one game of the world series and then get to the next world series. You lose Carlos Correa. Jeremy Pena is ready to be the world series MVP. So um, this is just a frustrating reality Yankees fans have to deal with. Um, and you just got to accept it at this point. Uh, I don't know how the Astros get away with this. You can, we can go back to this season when Jordan Alvarez signed Um, a six-year $115 million extension, and you're just like, how and why? That's a $200 million player. How are they getting that price for somebody who is clearly, like, going to be the best designated hitter or already is the best designated hitter in the league? Um, You can go back to the fact that they were able to get both Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman under extensions before they switched over to Scott Boris. Um, I... Don't know how they're finding these, you know, players who have these agents that are willing to sacrifice um, these beginning of the free agent years, which is the most value. I mean, if you watch how the biggest, the the best agencies handle these players, they don't budge in arbitration unless it is an above market extension or it puts them like within the top five of the position that they're dealing with. Um, And I don't know how this continues to happen uh I, those are really good examples and look they're still talking extent and the other crazy part about this is that we're looking at three front office regime regime changes jeff lou now gone james click gone now this whoever i don't even know who it is here. dana
0: brown dana yeah. brown who comes from the braves and and is another like highly thought of executive in the same mold which like there's another thing that we can't escape it, it they they finally do something chaotic and weird And James Click, they scream at James Click and they fire him after winning the World Series and they want to go less analytically inclined and Jeff Bagwell's there and they're talking about Brad Ausmus being the GM. And you're like, this is an all-time bag fumble. And then they're like, just kidding. We actually hired one of the most respected non-GM execs in baseball who helped build the Braves into the best team in the National League. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much. That's awesome. I'm glad. Who convinced you that Getting way worse was a bad strategy. I'd like to find that man. Cause I really enjoyed inviting dysfunction into the front office and then deciding that, Oh, that was a bad idea. Let's be normal and smart. Uh, it was, it was a nice couple of months there though.
2: Yeah. You, and then they, they have other guys seamlessly coming in like Framber Valdez top of the rotation arm, just here appears here. Uh, 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 all of a sudden starts dominating. Um, then you have someone like Javier who, look, could this deal end up not working out for the Astros? Sure. Um, under the current terms of what he signed, five years, $64 million, That's a $12.8 million AAV. Um, he has one season in which he's made more than 10 starts, um, and it was this past year. Uh, then again, he's looked fairly good in, every, in, in, in all of the games he's pitched at. He's pitched in 78 career games, 44 were starts. Um, He's got a 3.05 ERA, a 3.9 FIP, 1.04 whip, struck out 378 batters over 304 innings, Um, placed third in the rookie of the year voting back in 2020. He still has ways to go. Um, But I think you look at the two no-hitter situations from last year, the fact that he finished the 2022 season without giving up a single run in his final six starts, two of them, Coming in the ALCS against the Yankees, he destroyed the Yankees this year in across like I want to say like seventeen or eighteen innings. Um, I think he gave up one run and uh, a handful of hits. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, finishing the season on that note, wins in the ALCS, wins in the World Series. Um, it's a smart move for the Astros to consider. I just don't know how we went from. We're, Javier's side went from, okay, we're fighting you in arbitration because we want 500 more thousand to, okay, we'll take the deal that are, we'll take the deal. That's going to buy out his two most valuable years as a player f- four years from now. Um, so that's where, that's where I have trouble grasping this because then you have the Yankees who will give Aaron Hicks seven years after his lone, good, healthy season, um, which was a dumb deal. And then you have the smart deal for Luis Severino, which everybody applauded at that time. But then he gives you one year out of it. That's good up until this point because of injuries and, and what, and what have you. So I don't know how this continues to work out for the Astros. I mean, in the fact that it's worked out with, especially these high profile players like Bregman, like Altuve, it's obviously going to work out with Alvarez. Um, As much as we, are sitting here and saying they overpaid for Montero and Jose Abreu. I think those are moves that are, that they kind of needed to make and they made them whether, you know, they, they, whether we think it's an overpay or not, they got the players. You know, we talk about it all the time. Who cares if you're overpaying, if you need somebody out of position, pay them. You need, you need somebody to fill a a void. You know that they're capable of delivering whatever you want to eliminate the market competition, just pay them. Um, so I I just don't know. And then you look at a situation with Correa where they wouldn't budge with him. I think they ended up offering what 160 million was their final offer before he had free agency. And he said, no. And they were like, great. Then no, then we'll figure out a plan. Um, they lost Garrett Cole after 2019. He went to the Yankees again. Fine. One game within the world series. They were okay. The year after, I don't know. They were okay. The two years after the three years after whatever it is. Um, it's front it's just frustrating to see this happen over and over again, especially with the turmoil. You have the cheating scandal which would usually unravel any other franchise. look at like look at the mini ripple effects that the the Red Sox scandal has had. you know they they changed the front they changed the entire front office. that front office has clearly not been good. The play on the field has they, they've had one good year since kind of returning to the fold um, a- after all of it. Um And the Astros are only getting better and they're getting better with on paper, not it, it, the, the roster over the last few years has, I guess, technically gotten worse, but they are not they, they are not relenting in any capacity. And then they make these smaller moves for someone like Javier. That's going to pay dividends down the road. And I don't know who's convincing these players to take these deals. It's obvious that you can even see, right? You see that the deals that Altuve and Bregman took to the first extensions with them were clearly a mistake from a MLB Players Association perspective. They changed agencies immediately within a year or two to Scott Boris because they said, well, we need, to, now we need to make, do. we need to make up for it. Altuve ended up making up for it because they renegotiated the contract for the first extension that he signed and they gave him a massive deal and now Bregman That contract was backloaded. He's making nice. uh, He's making like 30 and a half million these next two years, but they're already in negotiations for an extension for him too. I just don't know why it's not easier for, I guess, a front office like the Yankees who've had continuity for 25 years. Is that too, is that crazy to ask? I don't don't know.
0: Well, and it's,
2: it's just never
0: going to happen here. feels like every other fan base base is talking about early extensions and the benefits of of such things and like, Ooh, are there any extension candidates on our roster? And then after the Severino and Hicks things, it's like, we're not going to do that. Like Nestor Cortez could, he loves being here, right? What if Mm -hmm. we just bought Nestor Cortez out and did five years, 55 million for Nestor Cortez or something, it's just not going to happen. And he's going to end up making $120 at the end of this, you know, whenever the arbitration, (laughs) it's going to be like four years, 80 something for Nestor. And it could be 560 right now, probably, but they're not going to do it. Uh, Christian Javier is probably a better pitcher than Nestor Cortez certainly more dominant probably more durable uh but you get my drift it's you're looking at extension candidates all around the league and and with the Yankees it's just like not nah, keep looking not going to happen uh that is it for this edition of the Yankees Go Yard podcast following the Super Bowl it is officially baseball season we are ready to move on but we've already been here we've been in baseball season mode for months all off season long into spring training and the regular season we can't wait. For the action to actually heat up and to get to talk to you about real things going on instead of just grousing about Dalton Farshow and Christian Javier. We're live on YouTube, 2 o'clock Eastern, every Monday and Thursday. We were off schedule last week. Don't intend to do that again. Uh, you never know, though. We're a little nasty tricksters. We might. We, we have no idea. But hopefully we won't. Like and subscribe to the channel. Like the video. Hit the subscribe button. The comments have been rolling in lately. We've loved it. People are very complimentary. That's good. I like when people like us. Don't yeah. like when people don't. So please let us know if you do. If you don't, keep it to yourself. Uh, drop us a line on all podcast platforms. You can listen to the audio version. If you missed the live feed, uh, that goes up everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, your preferred listening platform. As soon as the live show is done, please catch up. And if you're listening to the audio feed right now, you found it. Nice job. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiner. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weiner. Thomas Carinante. Why don't you wrap us up? Let everybody know where they can find you.
2: Yes, I am at Tommy's underscore takes. Uh, you can talk to both of us at the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. It's safe the same at- thing again. Yeah, I think I guess it is. Yeah, it's the same thing. We're not changing it anytime. Uh, YanksGoYard.com, please head on over there. We got our bylines. We got plenty of content for you. Spring training. People are reporting this week. Here we go. We're going to get content of people rolling in. We're going to get some position battle things going um as the days unfold there's going to be more pertinent topics to write about uh we want to hear what the fans have to say um we want to be exploring all angles here that's what the conversation is in the offseason um so i know the last month or so has been fairly boring hopefully we see a change of pace here um we can entertain you guys even more so until then we'll talk to you on thursday good job chiefs we thank you
0: good job chiefs you guys did what we ask you to see you next thursday this thursday
1: just a couple of days